Well, women have desires, and in the church, we don't always talk about what to do with those desires. And so oftentimes it's hidden sin or secret passions or reading the romance novels and kind of getting all hyped up about it instead of having an appropriate relationship with someone that's wise counsel that can talk through those emotions. It's normal to be passionate. We should be passionate about God first and then people. And if it's our you know, upcoming spouse, that's awesome. We want to encourage that, but we don't, and we don't want to discourage it like often happens in the church. But a lot of people don't know how to talk about it. And so they just say, oh, don't, don't feel that or don't talk about that or don't look at that. And it's, it's talking about the heart issues. And if we're desiring God first, He's going to give us pure desires toward our spouse or our future spouse. Well, howdy. Pastor Mark here. Welcome back to The Real Marriage Podcast. If you haven't heard, we've got a brand new book, my wife Grace and I, called Real Romance. It's about sex in the Song of Songs. It's uh, releasing in February. And here's the big idea. Uh, my wife, Grace, and I, we have been teaching on marriage for a long time. And the thing that was most popular was the Song of Solomon many years ago. And we have brought back all of that content. We have expanded it. Uh, be the first time that we have ever published and widely released it. And hey, let's just be honest, man. Economy is down. Money is tight. You need a new hobby. We're here to help spice up your bedroom. Uh, you can find all the details and pre-order the book at uh, realromancebook.com. That's realromancebook.com. Thanks to our friends at XO and Pastor Jimmy for publishing it. On today's episode, we will be sharing a little more from the book. And I would tell you, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says and have a good date night. Well, insofar as the Song of Solomon goes, um, it's our perspective that the male is Solomon. He is the king. Uh, he is the wisest man after Jesus. Um, he has this supernatural Holy Spirit anointing for wisdom. Uh, he's named six times in the book. It continually refers to him as the king. Uh, in addition, there is Abishag. And the reason we use her name, her name is never mentioned in the book. But when Solomon's father, David, was dying, they brought in a young maiden to tend to him, kind of like hospice or nurse or end-of-life care. She comes from the same region that is mentioned of this young woman in the book, the Shulamite region. Um, uh, Solomon becomes very defensive and protective of her, and, um, and her name is Abishag. And so though her name is not given in the book, um, Probably the most likely person that she is, is uh, this gal named Abishag, and uh, we'll call her Abby. And then there are the friends. So jumping into this first section of the Song of Solomon, um, let's just talk about her. What do you think it indicates that she speaks first? I mean, she's free. She's wanting a relationship with her. She's being frank about her desires with him. She's very honest and straightforward. She's very passionate. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot of thoughts about sex and marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she's very, I would say she's very aggressive and flirtatious. Mm -hmm. And she, she makes it clear that she is interested in him because she sees all these other women around that are interested, but she puts herself in front and says, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm very interested. Well, you're my... You know, we would at this point they, they don't work under the same sort of categories, but this right. would be like their engagement. This is their betrothal. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, You are my pick. I am excited to be with you. I'm looking forward. They're anticipating their wedding and their marriage. Yeah. How do you think that corresponds with a lot of sort of religious, prudish teaching 
uh, about how women should be. They shouldn't have sexual desires if they do. They shouldn't be passionate. They shouldn't be aggressive. They shouldn't express them. Some of this comes out of the Victorian age where, you know, women were to dress very modestly, and then we put tablecloths over tables because if men saw the leg of a chair, they would lust, and that's a that's a really weird guy. Oh, well, we've kind of gotten know. to the other extreme now, so I'm I'm not so sure that <laughs> all of that was bad, but. We, we need to be modest still. Okay, let me, let me do this then. We'll have a little argument in front of the live <laughs> audience. So uh, w- would you say that perhaps outside of the church, for non-Christians, it's more sex is God? Yes. And some women are encouraged to just be way too aggressive outside of marriage, but that within the church, it can be more sex is gross. Mm-hmm. And so women are discouraged even within marriage to being passionate, to having desires, to expressing their interests. Well, women have desires, and in the church, we don't always talk about what to do with those desires. And so oftentimes it's hidden sin or secret passions or reading the romance novels and kind of getting all hyped up about it instead of having an appropriate relationship with someone that's wise counsel that can talk through those emotions. It's normal to be passionate. We should be passionate about God first and then people. And if it's our you know, upcoming spouse, that's awesome. We want to encourage that, but we don't, and we don't want to discourage it like often happens in the church. But a lot of people don't know how to talk about it. And so they just say, oh, don't, don't feel that or don't talk about that or don't look at that. And it's, it's talking about the heart issues. And if we're desiring God first, he's going to give us pure desires toward our spouse or our future spouse. And so, yeah, in the church, it's gross. Outside of the church and the culture, it's God. And so, again, how do we— That's going to be very confusing for women. Yep, it is. It is. And then if you have any trauma in there, it's even more confusing. So there's a lot of aggressive women that I see, young women in this day and age. Um, Number one, I mean, they're not—it shows to me a lack of trust with the Lord providing. But there's also a sense where some guys are kind of clueless— And so you may need to put yourself kind of in front of him, just getting to know him as a friend and that sort of thing. But it doesn't mean you're aggressive. What about within marriage, once you are married? Yes. It's great to be aggressive if that's, you know, if that's your relationship. (laughs) I second the motion. Uh, And she invites him to kiss Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. So what is she doing there? She's saying, I want to be with you. (laughs) She's inviting, she's flirting. Um, she also highlights his character. She says, um, your name is like perfume poured out. Mm-hmm. So what I like to say is that women are generally aroused and men are generally aroused. <laughs> um, and so for her, a lot of her attraction to him, she's going to talk about his physical appearance and how he smells mm-hmm. and he brushes his teeth and he has <laughs> two eyebrows and a shirt with buttons. Like he's, he's put together. But why is it so important that character outside of the bedroom be in place for a woman to have courage in the bedroom with her husband? Because that establishes trust and security. And if she sees good character outside of the house and the bedroom, um, for women, security is the number one thing. Explain that. What does that look like? So emotional security, financial security, spiritual security. Um, for a woman, for her to feel safe, those all need to be in place. And and it's not that it needs to be perfect. It needs to be the man working toward all those things together with her. Consistency, yeah. And effort. then she can feel free to be 
in the most vulnerable place in the bedroom with him because she feels safe on all these other accounts. And there's studies that show security in all those areas is the number one thing for women. And so then she talks about her own insecurities. Mm-hmm. She says, uh, Dark am I? I'm dark. Don't Meaning, look at me. in that day, there, there's always, you know, every culture has, generally speaking, a cultural standard of beauty. And our, our big idea is this that God doesn't give us a standard of beauty, He gives us a spouse. Mm-hmm. And your spouse is your standard of beauty. So when God made Adam and Eve, there was one man and there was one woman, and they were each other's standard of beauty. It wasn't like there were other men or women to compare one another to. (laughs) Made it easy. Made it really easy. Like, there's an aardvark. Okay, well, they look amazing. That's incredible. And so uh, your spouse is your standard of beauty. That's where he says in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. Lustfully looking is having someone other than your spouse be your standard of beauty. That's why a, a requirement of a leader in the New Testament is to be a one-woman man, that literally his standard of beauty is one woman. Yeah. And so what she's saying, though, is that she doesn't fit what would be the typical mm-hmm. normative cultural standard of beauty. If you were wealthy, you would stay indoors mm-hmm. and you would have pale skin. Bare skin yeah. If you were working outside, you'd be you know, very tan and you'd have a farmer's tan. Mm-hmm. And that's how you knew who the poor people versus the rich people were. Uh, the poor ladies uh, had farmer's tans mm-hmm. and they were all sweaty. And uh, rich gals, they were very pale and put together and living indoors. And what she's saying is, I don't fit the cultural standard of beauty. Yeah. She has some degree of insecurity about her appearance. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk about that. Uh, just how women tend to kind of always feel that way to some degree. We all judge ourselves the most harshly. And so when a man sees something wrong with us, when a husband sees something wrong with us and says it, it's really painful because we already see that tenfold. And so for a man to compliment a wife constantly is the most helpful. And he is going to do that throughout the course of the book. Much of what he's going to say is not just, you're purdy. Uh, but he has, he has, uh, he has very specific compliments. I love yes. your hair. I love your long neck. Mm-hmm. She, you'll find later. She's no. got a huge nose, huge nose. And he's like, I love your big nose and your long neck. And so uh, for him, he is saying the things that she may have a question about are the things that he finds really unique about her and adorable about mm-hmm. her. So he's very specific with the compliments to increase her awareness because it's important for the wife to see herself through the husband's eyes. Mm-hmm. But if he's not specifically complimenting, uh, she's not sure what he's thinking. And if he's criticizing, that's, as you said, pretty devastating. Yeah. What would you say to women who are maybe spending a lot of time on social media, uh, and today it's all about comparing yourself to someone else, and then, uh, and we all know that they're photoshopped and airbrushed, yeah, and yeah. it's not like that's how they look at three o'clock right. in the morning, you know? <laughs> Yeah, comparison is really deadly um, in many areas for women, but it's God created us who we are, and we need to live that to the best of our ability. And it doesn't matter what might we might think is wrong with us. We can use those things like she did to an advantage and pursue. And, you know, I know these things aren't great about me, but I love you, and I want to be with you. And Well, let's be honest that most guys, <laughs> they're not— ready to take their shirt off and be modeling, you know? I mean, it's, I mean, and that's what's very interesting is sometimes, especially in our culture, there's a lot more pressure put on women for appearance mm-hmm. than men. Absolutely. And it's really unjust. It's unfair. It's ungodly. It's unholy. It's unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And, and I think really that is what a lot of uh, 
pornography does. It creates a complete dissatisfaction with an actual human being, and it creates a, a series of beauty standards that are untenable and impossible. And there's no, there's not the same level of pressure or expectation right. for a man. So right. it's an, it's an unfair. It's an unfair status. But if you know that your husband is attracted to you, his passion is for you, his, everything is going you know, toward you, all of his affection, what does that do for the security and confidence of the wife? It just builds 100% trust. Yeah, she can trust him and feel safe with him. And then she's open to continue to grow and blossom as a woman and who God created her to be instead of worrying about the criticisms criticism that will come or what he might be thinking or what someone else is thinking. And that's a trap. I mean, uh, as women, we we easily fall into that because the enemy wants to remind us of all our shortcomings and the Lord wants to convict us where we need to work on things but not condemn us in that he wants to help us grow and utilize who he created to be to be a blessing to others. Well, then too, they they talk in this first section at the conclusion about intentionally pursuing one another, what Pastor Jim Evans calls the law of mutual pursuit, mm-hmm. that cleaving to one another in Genesis is that active, aggressive, mutual pursuing. Like, I, I'm going to make an effort. You're a priority. And what they're talking about is intentionally getting time together. She says, tell me you're going to be at midday. Mm-hmm. And what she's saying is, you're the king of Israel. Like, he's got a lot going on. Yeah. And he's out somewhere deployed for work. He's, he's not at the office or he's not at the, uh, at the palace for the day. And she's saying, I need to know where you're going to be for lunch. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just be looking for you. Um, you know, that's what ungodly women do. They're just running around looking for men. She's saying, I want to know where you're going to be so that we can intentionally schedule some time together in our busy lives. She's showing him that she's thinking about him as well and not just doing her thing. He's doing her thing. And then, oh, at night, we'll be together kind of thing. It's intentional. It's preempting and and pursuing each other throughout the day. So, so what would you say to those who say, well, just, you know, we're just, we're just going to be filled with passion and our lives are going to intersect and we don't need to schedule or architect it or plan it. It's just going to, it's just going to happen. Fireworks. Yeah. It, that's only in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> People need to be pursued to feel safe and, and open. And so maybe explain to them uh, kind of the importance of a date night and what we would call a sync meeting. So date night, we've kept... Or it could be date day or... Yeah, any day or night or morning, whatever. Time together is the, the goal. Um, we've done that since college. And um, our pre-married pastor told us that this needs to be a priority. And if it's not, everything will come into that place. Um, and so we've kept it since college. And, and it's changed throughout the... You know, yeah, when twenty the kids plus are years. And all of yeah. That, yeah, but um, but we've maintained, and so that that way you can look forward to that time together. There's always that. Okay, but on Friday or even when you have kids, if you're staying at home and they're in bed, and you're like, okay, we get a couple hours together. It's just it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's just getting that time of enjoyment together, and that's a really important time to invest in the relationship and pursue each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas the sync meeting is something that is important beside that. It's, it's not separate. very romantic. Yeah. It's not. But it's important to sync each other's schedules and and know kind of like she did, where are you going to be at midday? Um, knowing how you can be praying for each other throughout the day. Are you going to be, you're going to be counseling with someone or you're going to be um, in this meeting or you're going to be, you know, prepping a sermon or whatever it is for you. I look at the calendar and I pray through, okay, I'm praying for him in this. I know God is talking to him in this area. So if it helps me 
um, engage in your life without being at your side. Yeah. Um, and then for you, you can do the same. And so we try and sync our calendars in a way where we're aware of what each other is going through each during the day. Um, and so that meeting to kind of sync that up and, you know, once you have kids, who's going to take this person where? And, you know, they're sick today, so you got to take them to the orthodontist or, you know, whatever the issue is. But syncing up so that you're on the same page and not frantic. Because um, usually um, the difference between a value and a priority, a value is something you hold, a priority is something you do. Yeah. And a lot of people have values, but not priorities. Mm-hmm. So like, I do love you. You're important. You matter to me. It's like, well, but our life is not it's architected not in such a way that that our time together is a priority. So the sync meeting is, it's very unromantic. Mm-hmm. It is... Uh, you like it, though. I do. <laughs> I do. I do. Well, I like to look into the future, and I like to know that we're going to have our life put together according to our God-given priorities. And also, I always like to have fun on the calendar. Mm -hmm. I need to have a vacation, a holiday, a trip. I got to have something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. I always need fun on the horizon. Um, And so I love asking you and the kids, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Let's get that on the calendar. Let's get that in the budget. Let's make sure that fun is always, you know, first in line. Um, And so, because if Jesus comes back, I want to make sure I got my fun out of the way. (laughs) Not just to work. Well, it's going to be way more fun now. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, and what we do in the Sing Me, we have a shared calendar so we know what one another is doing. And then we're looking at the holidays and the birthdays and the weekend and work and budgets. Yeah. And we're just trying to put life together. And so the Sync meeting is where you work on your life. And then the date night is where you work mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's to carve out time and energy to be together. Yeah. And so um, thank you for joining us for this uh, first session in Real Romance. Uh, learning about sex in the Song of Songs. And what we're going to give you is just one discussion question. There's going to be many more in the study guide and additional homework and scripture and such. Uh, but what we're going to ask you to do is carve out time. Uh, this will be a, uh, a sort of date uh, assignment in a private setting. You don't mm-hmm. want your kids or your in-laws and outlaws involved. Phone's off. Turn your phone off. Phone is the Greek word for demons. So cast <laughs> that out. Turn that phone off. Pray together, yes. maybe hold hands yes. and look each other in the <laughs> eye and pray, forgive, love, yes. put a lot of grace, invite the Holy Spirit, lovingly, kindly discuss what? The, whether sex is God, gross, or gift. Have that conversation. And where you actually honestly are with it, be willing to listen to that and not criticize that because if you're not honest, you're never going to grow in where you need to be. And that was a hard first conversation for us. It really was. And we... We took it personally at first. Oh, yeah, because you'd be like, Mark, you're wrong. And I'd be like, Grace, you're wrong. And God's like, you're both right. (laughs) (laughs) That we were not at the position regarding our understanding that was the God-given, God-glorifying, Scripture-revealing position. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of forgiveness entailed in this as well. So go into it praying that God would give you the fruit of the Spirit and to forgive each other before you even have the discussion. Because if you have that going into it, there'll be a lot more graciousness and the Holy Spirit will be a part of that with you because he wants to have you have a healthy, fun, enjoyable marriage. And through the conversation, if it starts getting tense or intense, just stop and pray, Mm -hmm. forgive one another, take a deep breath, invite the Holy Spirit that these can be very sensitive issues. And for some couples, it's like a grenade with a pin pulled. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, the, the, the key here is just to get the pin back on the grenade. Say, you know what, we're not going to argue and fight about this over and over and over. We're going to pray and learn about this so mm -hmm. that we can be one yeah. and enjoy one another as one flesh. So we're praying for up. you. That's our homework assignment for you to have a loving, private, kind, spirit-filled, mm -hmm. humble discussion about sexes. God, gross, or gift, mm -hmm. and how you can learn and grow. And maybe you just close our session by praying for their discussion. Mm -hmm. Dear Lord, thank you for what you've done in our marriage and will continue to faithfully grow in us. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to these couples. I pray that there would be honest conversations, not attacking each other, but working through the issues. Um, if there's healing that needs to take place, if there's repentance that needs to take place, um, if there's a new frame of mind, renewing their mind and not conforming to this world, Lord, I pray that you would equip them to do that. I pray that these conversations would build their marriage and not tear it down. And I pray that you would just bless them as they walk this journey together in honesty and truth and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.